0: Hello and welcome back to the Comic Lyric Podcast, the podcast that does deep dives into the best of comic books, graphic novels, mangas, and nothing else. Uh, I'm your host, soon to be known as Comic Standard, with me as always is my harrowing co-host, it's Jamie. I don't want to be harrowing, but it is spooky season. Spooky season episode 3, we've managed to get two-thirds of the way through and we're still on theme. On theme. I'm really proud of us, we're doing it. And today's theme uh, for the anyone who hasn't read the title is the scariest theme of all in my opinion which is search engine optimization i don't want to do it (laughs) you're gonna have to deal with the fact that i don't want to do it so i'm gonna derail this situation as much as is possible but then we're doing a good thing after that as well so it's kind of a two-in-one episode which is Is a first i mean i think we can make it good (laughs) because we're such talented podcasters I don't know if talented is the right word, though. We are somewhat experienced podcasters. I mean, we are. We're what? what, This is like... Is this episode 40? Uh, You would think I would have the information to hand already, but I don't for some reason. So let me see. And that's wrong. That's the wrong disc here we go almost there because we didn't start releasing until january did we but we've been making these since last autumn yeah this is episode 39 so next week is episode 40 oh my god oh and well, i know what we're doing next we've got week. a great one for oh, episode 40. no! episode 40 is gonna be a classic comic literate episode exactly oh no getting back to our roots you know <laughs> And speaking of roots, I do have one little bit to say on top, which I thought would be very interesting in keeping with the Spooky Season theme. Spooky Season. I think yours is better than mine. Can you do your Spooky Season for me? Spooky Season. Ah. Yeah, your voice is a little richer than mine. It just comes off better. Well, I've done voiceover stuff as well, so I know how to like manipulate it a little bit and stuff. I can't do accents. We've established that already, (laughs) but I can do some stuff. Just just, just before we finish with Spooky Season, can I have your best, Alan, more Spooky Season? So, having watched an interview by him, <laughs> I'm kind of like, I'm trying to pinpoint his voice because that would be a, a handy <laughs> thing for this podcast. I think is it's just, it's just like a low-down, kind of bit regional-ish kind of English accent. So, we're like, Spooky Season. I mean, that's I mean, quite close to your... Hmm. Do you, i hate stan lee <laughs> <laughs> are we just discovering that you sound a bit like alan moore because that Maybe. would be really funny if i could impersonate alan moore like generally and i'd be like i actually quite like the watchman <laughs> ad- adaptation <laughs> just fuck with him troll him make a fake twitter account there must be like an ai like voice of his no. that's been programmed or something i mean oh god don't I mean I hope there is, is what I'm saying. Day ruined. <laughs> now I'm thinking about AI. So one little thing that I found which I thought would fit in with the theme is I found a story, and the, the, the title alone made me think this would be good for the for the podcast. I haven't even read the actual story yet, but the headline is good enough. <laughs> <laughs> this so is off to a good start. The Classic he- comic literate. The headline is When hundreds of vampire hunting children invaded a Scottish a Scottish cemetery and helped spur a comic book ban. I mean, you're gonna have to read the story now. I mean, I, I don't want to read the whole story altogether, but well, not on the, not live on the podcast. That would be really drab. No, but basically, there were some kids that uh, went to a Scottish cemetery with. Uh, they were hunting vampires. They were armed with knives, sharpened sticks, and homemade tomahawks. And apparently, <laughs> many bought their dogs. So. <laughs> homemade tomahawks it was a bit uh it was a bit wholesome were these uh, scottish kids i mean i assume they were i i, I don't think they took the megabus to, to, to scotland to hunt a vampire <laughs> we're going to hunt some scottish vampires apparently word on the playground was that there was a seven foot vampire with iron teeth had eaten two local boys and uh apparently it just turned out to be one of the local tory mps uh so. that's a british deep cut for anyone who uh the irony being of course i don't think there are any tory mps in scotland at the moment i think they are they just don't do much because no one likes them (laughs) i think that's the problem well no because the SNP have such a good foothold in scotland don't they i don't think there are any tory mps in scotland anymore well essentially as i said they uh (laughs) they i mean it's one of the english ones who's made his way up yeah (laughs) To eat Scottish children. And then again, not getting too much into the story, but the next part, the subheading, is comic books and communists. (laughs) (laughs) Naturally, the communists would get involved as well. This isn't America. We're not afraid of commies over here. I mean, we just look down on them, don't we? Speak for yourself. I mean, we're we're not the royal we which is appropriate for the royals essentially (laughs) but essentially yeah story that led to a comic book ban uh it's on mental philosophy anyone wants to go read it but i thought it was a nice little mention at the very least and the other homemade tomahawks like that's really impressive I mean, it depends. Like, oh, what's the quality we're going here? Like, are you at attaching like a vinyl disc to a bamboo stick or something? Or like, what's well, the level of like where it counts as a tomahawk? I mean, a tomahawk is a throwing axe, isn't it? Yeah. So something that's hardy enough to withstand being thrown out a vampire or a tory or does both. It, but does it have to survive one throw? That's what I mean. It's like if I you think just... to be defined as a tomahawk, it would need to be infinitely throwable yeah mm, but if you just tape like a book to a stick and it looks vaguely like the shape of a tomahawk does is that then a homemade tomahawk or does i it wouldn't to condone that kind of behavior that sounds like book abuse to me yeah but who reads books these days Ugh. <laughs> some Philistine. Um, a lot of people do apparently you, so i've heard absolute bogan yes but again i thought that was a nice little story <laughs> for what i what i'm gonna try and pioneer is the phrase the terrifying 10th month of the year <laughs> the terrifying 10th month of the year or, or i should have said the terrifying 10th month of the year <laughs> we're a little future there for there some reason go. but yes yeah, so we are doing two titles this week because one slave to the almighty seo and we're doing a rick and morty comic because rick and morty is coming back soon Mainly, I think we're probably going to veer more on tangents about the actual TV show than the comic. Yeah, because the comic's kind of a bit piss-weak, isn't it? So I have some interesting thoughts about the comic. I agree with you, but I have some interesting thoughts as to why and how and how it kind of stacks up. But uh, but I read, like, four issues, and I think I got a good sense of it. Did you get the same? I did not read that much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the first point I was going to say was that... Interestingly, I think it doesn't matter as much how much you read it because the story doesn't really matter <laughs> yeah, in it. No, but and then very episodic. But then also, for the most part, the story doesn't matter in the TV show. And I think inevitably, like, do well, how do we go about this? Do we do we analyse it just on the comic in itself, or do we just throw our hands up and say, "Here's how it compares to the TV show"? Like, what's the route here? I think that's the only way we could go. Because to be quite frank with you, the comics are a soulless cash in a little bit, yeah, but. <laughs> But apparently, in my very brief research, the comics do get better after the first two volumes. So, they someone right. else takes over. And apparently, so I did write, I did note it down a little bit. So, Rick Amoy, American comic book series written by Zach Gorman who, for volumes one and two. And then it went over to someone named Kyle Starks for three to 12. So, a lot bigger part written by this other person. Whereas we only read issues by Zach Gorman for the first yeah. couple. Um, and Alex uh, Fiera. Um, 13 onwards, and illustrated by Mark Ellaby. But the point is that after a certain point, uh, the first two volumes expressly follow the Rick and Morty of a different dimension. Yeah. So they're just like other stories by a different Rick and Moy, which is like a trope of the TV show. Like it's a constant thing about, you know, parallel other yeah. versions of the characters, whatever. But then after that, they actually switched up uh, and made them the, the actual C-137 yeah. protagonist to actually tie in with the stories from the tv show so we're thinking maybe the ones we read that was a a generally agreed everyone kind of looked at it the same way of like these aren't very good let's like actually tie them into what's good with the tv show so it became an even closer tie-in to the source material but i think the reason for that as i said was because we were reading it and i think you probably had a similar thing with me where the story didn't feel like it mattered at all i didn't really feel like there was one exactly well it was just like stuff was (laughs) happening in a rick and morty kind of way wasn't it but even then there was like little jumps which like they just wanted to get from one part to the other so like the first issue rick invents a machine that can predict the stock market or something right yeah and then very quickly they are successful and then and morty at the beginning is like i'm not sure we should be doing this is this legal you know his normal morty shtick oh geez rick you know all that and then like a few pages later they're successful and immediately rick's uh, morty is like i'm voting you out of the company because <laughs> because i'm taking all the risk my names and everything blah, blah blah so very quickly it's like well this would be like a big plot point in a in an episode yeah. but they've just kind of rushed through it in this comic so that's what made me think the story doesn't really matter in these and then once yeah. once i i figured once you kind of don't think about the story anymore what's left and the only thing that's really left should be the humor of it, because that's what Rick Moy is also known for. And the humor for me just felt like it was impersonating the TV show. Exactly what it was doing. And I think there is, there is a real charm to hearing Rick say smart things. Um, and there's a real charm to hearing Jerry kind of dumbly hit upon really poignant truths about the universe without realizing it. Hmm. And I think without the voice acting and the animation, Rick and Morty falls flat because that's kind of what it is, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's... I mean, we say as we're about to get a season of Rick and Morty with no Justin Roiland.
1: Yes, that's, <laughs>
0: that's a whole other thing. But I think what's interesting with this is it's the first couple seasons type of of humor and writing. Whereas where we are now, we've experienced a lot more stuff. Like, the sh- the characters on the show has evolved in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. So whereas we get this, like, Jerry's such an idiot and a coward kind of thing. We're now at the point, like, I think a lot of people now, like, Jerry's actually, like, the most, like, put-together character. Like, yeah, he's most- the most relatable human character and probably the most sensible in a lot of regards. Definitely the most well-adjusted character, I'd yeah. say. Because everyone else is... All the other characters, obviously Rick, but everyone else is also fucked up to certain degrees. Jerry is, like... What a person would be in these scenarios, hundred percent. Like, there's a common thing that people say, which is that everyone thinks they're a Rick, but they're really a Jerry. Yeah. Like admitting that you are a Jerry is like the first kind of steps, like, like self acknowledgement, (laughs) like self (laughs) true self assessment. (laughs) Like, I am a Jerry, and I'm fine with it. You know. Yeah, I'm cool with that. But yeah, the the humor I felt like it kind of just emulated the the TV show. But one thing I did think with that is the TV show had not only one of the best. Uh, in my opinion, one of the best TV showrunners of all time, Dan Harmon. Yeah. But uh, he also had a team of writers, like a writers' room, and they would build the episode in a writers' room. They would bounce ideas back off of each other. These comics were, at any point in time, written by one person. So. Um, it really put me in mind of something that I we I think we might have even t- spoken about on the podcast that we were both we both consumed a lot of as kids, which is the Simpsons comics. Yes. And Which was again, a big tie in comic, yeah, and but the thing that the Simpsons comics did really well was they gave us a bunch of short comic strips with a single gag in them based in the Simpsons Universe mm. so there was a story where you know Bart Simpson had an extendable fork in the canteen, and he was like stealing fries off Nelson's plate, and he gets the fork bent around him, like maybe a story that r- runs over three or four pages, like you mm. know sixteen panels or something, whereas here they're trying to present the same amount of co- content per story as you'd get in a, an episode of Rick and Morty. Like, each issue takes you about 15-20 minutes to read. Each episode takes you about 15-20 minutes to watch. Mm. And so there's more of a one-to-one thing happening here, and I think that's why it pales in comparison a bit more. Yeah, and there's also like an attempt at an ongoing story, which yeah. in the TV show... Well, I wouldn't know, because oh. <laughs> I and read I'm... a lot less than you. I mean, as an example, like by issue four, they're referencing something that happened by issue... Two previously, but it already established that we're onto a new story. Yeah, so it's like we're onto a new story. Ah, but this plot point is actually related to that plot point, and I think that's an attempt because, like Rick moya has a certain amount of continuity as well, which it kind of will play with in a meta way sometimes as well. Where sometimes they'll just explicitly be like, "That doesn't matter now." Like play with the expectations of the viewer, but they also do pay off some things in continuity as well. To you know big effects like the whole evil morty storyline and everything yeah but i think i think one of the things that i really enjoyed about rick and morty is that despite it having that multi-dimensional thing going on whereby you know every, every possible thing has happened to them mm. there was a strong sense of continuity mm. you know you see you see this really you largely follow the same jerry There, there there's an implication that he gets swapped early on isn't there yeah but you're largely following the same Jerry, you're following the same two Beths throughout, mm. um, except for when they skip universes and they all die. Yes. But even then we follow the originals, don't we? And they come yeah. back and we follow them through. Um, So there is, there is quite a strong sense of continuity in Rick and Morty. Yeah, and I think, as I said, it's attempting it in this, but it doesn't feel like... Maybe it's trying to do its own version, but I don't know. Maybe my... Comp- comparing it to the tv show is what kind of hindered my enjoyment of the comic like if this if there was no tv show and it was just here's a comic it's called rick and morty Well, yeah how would you feel about it if you were experiencing it in isolation i think you'd not i think i'd find the humor pretty great because compared to other comics i'd be like this is a really funny comic but again you cannot help but think but the tv show is funnier (laughs) but again my point earlier about the writers i'm like this single writer managed to emulate the 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 humor with original jokes so he's not just redoing other jokes but you know like read but redoing the tropes of the tv show and the characters and the relationships dynamics and everything but they did that by himself so compared to a team of writers who make this a critically acclaimed tv show i think they did a really good job of making an original version but again but when you're comparing just the end product (laughs) it's just not as good as a tv show which is fair enough and I thought it was just an interesting look, again, at, like, tie-in comics, because th- there's been some good ones. I was trying to imagine this in relation to, like, the Star Wars comics, in relation to the, you know, films and TV show. Yeah, I that's feel like an interesting thought. It's an, That's just one example. But with that, it felt like that was filling in blanks of mm. story. But the Star Wars universe lends itself to, like, here are important gaps where we don't know what happened. And yeah. then the comic goes here's what happened and the fans go finally we know what happened when you know in this gap Rick and Morty doesn't really have that because the tv show is so kind of all over the place in terms of when the episodes are set yes well I mean this is the thing I think there's a general sense that we're seeing a fairly linear um timeline in Rick and Morty isn't there it feels like it but then there but then there's like there's an interesting thing with the 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 Lineation of the TV show where yeah. some episodes happen at different times, and there's also a conspiracy theory where a lot of the fans think that the latest season happened in reverse, and right. that it, apart from the first episode, because that immediately happened straight after yeah. the finale of the previous one, but there's a there's people there's a theory that like the relations between the characters makes more sense if you reverse all the episodes after the first one <laughs> so fucking stupid i don't know if that's intentional like rick and Morty, i think that has a lot of things where it's like the fans be like this was what happened and the creators go uh, actually no we, we didn't intend that so yeah so who knows really but yeah i think the comic definitely feels like an attempt to just give further content if you like this content like mm. if you like rick and morty if you love rick and morty and you can't wait for the next season here's a comic book to kind of tide you over in between i yeah. think that's the point and of they've read a shitload of them well this is my thinking that maybe they get better after the first two volumes so maybe i think the next rick and morty thing that happens will have to jump to the the volume where the writer changes and then go okay what's this because like? there's a bunch of it isn't there there's like 60 issues i think from of this run and maybe it started i think it started again this year as well you're hard-pressed to get me to read 60 issues of any comic book at this point well no but, but like but, but what we do is we i said we look at an i say like ha- how does we have a look at up? a snapshot don't we yeah. that's kind of how we operate in the same way that you'd look at like a single book or a film or tv show like a season of a tv show we look at you know a volume or two of a of a comic so i think that's the the only way we can really churn out episodes i mean maybe (laughs) when when we're doing this for a living then it'll be our day job to read comics like hint hint like share send reviews yes exactly tell your friends five star and all that yeah but yeah (laughs) i did think the art it was interesting that the art did really good job of
1: Looking like, like seamless, Rick and Morty. Yes,
0: yeah, seamlessly going from the TV show to the comic. Like I, there's no change. But I imagine it'll be one of those things that actually, because there's so many animators and artists on board, there will be a style guide for how you draw Rick and Morty. Mm. Like, have you seen the Simpsons style guide? Oh, at the very least. I think any animation must have those kind of templates and stuff. Well, have you, like, there's a, there's a very specific style guide for The Simpsons right. that is now public and it's beautiful. It's this huge visual document. Mm. Um, that's just a bunch of Matt, like early Matt Groening illustrations saying Homer can do this, and his face can do this shape, but the faces can't do this shape. and when you draw him in profile, he has to look like. They, do you know what I mean? And mm. I imagine because Rick and Morty's been going for a while now, there will be that set of illustrations, that style guide. Yeah, and so I imagine it's actually quite a simple task because somebody's done the work for you and told you what to do and what not to do. And it was you said a similar thing with the Star Wars because you had the the life the actual live action actors to like base your drawings on and stuff yeah, as well absolutely. so so probably a similar thing i did enjoy the first you were saying earlier about like isolated stories with like one joke the summer story at the end of the first issue oh uh, right okay i like that because it was just like it was summer in the future For anyone who hasn't read it there's summer in the future she's like a uh freedom fighter space yeah. adventurer kind of thing like badass Think clone beth yeah and she's in some, she's in some battle or whatever, and she's with some people. And one goes like, "How did you get that scar on your shoulder?" Or whatever she's like, that happened a long time ago. And it just cuts to her in modern day trying to curl straighten her hair while eating a <laughs> slice of pizza and just burns her shoulder. <laughs> and I do typical think summer jokes like that, like almost you know the the end parts, the post credit parts would be yeah. like her one off joke in the uh, after the episode. If the comics were kind of like that, I think that'd play off a bit better. I mean, there's all these great moments where it'll cut away to what Jerry's up to while the action's happening and he's just got like a ship in a bottle or something and he's pulling a really concentrated face. Mm. And I always found those really charming. Beekeeper Jerry is <laughs> yeah. my favourite version. Favourite Jerry. <laughs> yeah. Because beekeeping is just a nice uh, it's a nice thing. Like I'd, I imagine if more people be Kept, it'd be the kept, better, bees. kept bees or, or be kept, it'd be a better world. There is a word, an apiarist. Sure, yes. An apiarist is a beekeeper. Yes. So if, more, if there were more apiarists in the world, hmm. it goes to show there's not much to say about the Rick comic that we're going on to beekeeping already. I mean, like, apiarists are quite interesting folk. It's something I'd love to do one day, but it also feels like you have to be a certain amount of wealthy to, like, have land to have bees on, you know? Yeah, and I suppose, like, because there's this big push in a lot of countries for urban bee farming mm. because of course the bees are in danger and we do need the bees well it's an interesting thing recently honeybees have been saved too much Mm-hmm-hmm. that they are now disproportionately affecting the non-honeybees and i saw like stories were coming out of this actually quite recently and it said like what about um bumblebees for example like in in england bumblebees are quite more prominent compared to like they were the most common species. But in America, they're just like one of a bunch. So um so bumblebees, for example, there's other kinds. And then one of them was also, and think about the wasps. <laughs> and everyone just collected went, no, <laughs> fuck off. Fuck like, wasps. I don't care if they go extinct. They it's pollinate like. nothing. And here's the thing, right? People always say, you know, anyone who is in the know, they say we should not allow any if any species goes extinct it affects the entire food chain and the entire ecosystem right so fuck wasps well yeah (laughs) but my argument as well is we've had species go extinct already like it's one of the great tragedies of humankind is we've resulted the extinction of so many animals already and everything just kept going so who cares if the wasps die really like i think that's a fair point Well, I think what's interesting is that of course we now have these mass flocks of things that would traditionally be prey animals. Like urban pigeons. Urban pigeons have no business being as proliferated as they are. No, they are they are the the hangers on of like of just a species that will just relentlessly (laughs) stay alive regardless. They're quite impressive. It is impressive. But their thing is more like we'll eat anything and we reproduce. Like, incredibly as much as quickly, yeah. yeah. So that's their main staying power, I would say. But back to the comic. Uh, hey, <laughs> and actually, classic ir- comic literate. Ironically, I think, <laughs> rather than back to the comic, maybe worth just saying a little bit about the Rick Moy TV show because. You know more about this than me. Sorry, I was biting my cat. That's Not fine. biting, I was giving her a playful nibble. <laughs> that's even worse. <laughs> that makes it sound worse. Um, Look, she the- came for a coddle, I gave her a coddle, right? Like, that's how this works. The thing with the TV show is it's gone through all the the controversy with the Justin Roiland thing and all that, and I think to be honest, there's, there's not as, there's not as much of a point us getting into it because I don't think we're going to do it justice at all. If you Google Justin Roiland, you will see all the news stories and everything, yeah. that, all the the creepy stuff that he has done, and the, the allegedly, yes, and the toxic work environment that a lot of people have said that he basically created, allegedly. Well, I mean, uh, my, <laughs> I've just had other people said it. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm doing the Trump thing. It's like people are saying, "Yeah, yeah I'm absolutely." Not saying, people are saying, <laughs> but specifically, like a lot of people said, including Dan Harmon, who mm. is like you know the the now the main guy behind Rick and Morty now. Allegedly, but the thing with that, what's interesting about that show is it was always creditors being like Justin Roiland and Dan Harmon, and now we're finding out that Justin Roiland pretty much just had the original concept and the. The voices and kind of the style like the initial yeah, yeah, style yeah. of the show but if you see those shorts that they made of it before they actually made the show it doesn't look anything like Rick and morty yet oh no they were 100% got like actual animators to make the show good so, i mean to start with it was called doc and marty wasn't it yeah it was just a straight rip off of back to the future uh, yeah ex- uh, uh, absolutely and then they kind of transitioned rick into more of a doctor who character yeah. like who's so smart he can do anything kind of character but yeah the whole the creation of the two it's dan Harmon that really like made it an actual viable tv show yeah. and like gave it like the heart and the writing and everything the... I mean, that's his thing though isn't it well, exactly, he's a showrunner yeah. but it's coming back now with new voice actors and they haven't even revealed who the voice actors are yet no and i'm really intrigued because justin roiland voiced rick and morty didn't he and yep. like mr poopy butthole and like he voiced, me seeks i think he, yeah he he voiced a bunch of the characters and so i'm really i mean and, and, and there are a wealth of people who can do a pretty nailed on rick impression including dan harmon he can do rick and morty and i Kenny. did i did think for a while like maybe he's just gonna do it now yeah because he mean, can do them i think it would be more interesting if all of a sudden i mean it would be the most interesting if they killed off c-137 Mm. and suddenly we had a different Rick who sounds sounded... slightly different yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely because most think... of the Rick's all the, all the Rick's generally sound the same don't they yeah I think the fans would hate more that the character that they've grown attached to was killed off rather than a voice actor change yeah. like there there is a subsection of the fans who think the accusations are bullshit and it's it's a fucking woke cancelling or whatever the fuck they want to call it but that's there's those fans who are not happy with that i think more fans would understand me be like but we care about these characters this character specifically yeah. and now you've killed and replaced them like yeah i, I mean know. the fact that as rick and morty fans we both know that he's c137 exactly i think everything if it? any tv show could do that it's probably rick and morty yeah but i still think there would be a bit of a backlash of like no no we we want to stick with the the main ones i mean i'm i'm intrigued to see what the first five minutes of that episode are going to be like when they obviously have to address everything what's interesting is there's another tv show that Justin Royland roiland was voicing and created yeah. called um solar opposites yeah uh on hulu and that what's interesting about that is he just did the one character so what they and that was co- that new season came out a couple of months ago yeah so what they did was the trailer for it was the characters so it's the the premise is they're aliens living on earth essentially yeah. so they have all the alien technology like rick and Morty, but they're less of like i'm a genius who could do anything it's more like them fitting into to earth life yeah. and stuff and what happens is one of the characters picks up a voice changing ray and accidentally <laughs> shoots the main character and you hear him like choking and then he the voice change it goes from just one old one to dan stevens the british actor oh brilliant who doesn't do an impression right? he just literally does his own yeah, version yeah. and it's like right my voice has changed now i'm british now deal with it also <laughs> it was a time affecting race all <laughs> the past all the flashbacks are now that voice as well just <laughs> deal with it <laughs> that's so good and then his alien partner the what the kids the kid character's like we should uh, fire him again and change it back and his alien partner's like no keep it I like the British accent, so <laughs> that was their, That was how they tackled it. How brilliant would it be if Rick was just British all of a sudden? <laughs> well, we've heard in the trailer that he is. You, you hear their voices, so it's the same already. It would be it'd be great if they just did like a completely different voice for him. Oh, have we heard the new voices? Trailers just come out like I think this week. Um, so yeah, it's it, we've heard the new voices. They are they basically sound like people doing a good impression. So you can oh, hear the difference, but it's sucks. still quite close. Well, again, I think they were scared of the fan base reaction. They were like, let's just keep it as close to as possible, yeah. But Rick and Morty has been a franchise that has been unafraid of upsetting its fans for the longest time. But the problem is that's that's kind of a part of it, isn't it? Like that they do these meta things to mess with like fan expectations of like the continuity and stuff like that. But I feel like that's different to how you experience the tv show yeah it's like when you're when a character gets replaced but the actor gets replaced on a tv show like i mean <coughs> the witcher yeah i was literally <laughs> about to bring that i was like i didn't even watch the last witcher season no me and, neither because i just couldn't be asked and i couldn't i was it only in. there for henry cavill yeah like- <laughs> literally i didn't want to see a sad henry cavill leaving the show kind of like. and also apparently they did a, i didn't even watch it but apparently they did a really fucked up way of like now it looks different. Like, yeah. it's, I'd rather they just don't do it canonically. Like just replace the yeah. actor and just get on like with it. Like the don't... mom in Fresh Prince of air Well, that's a whole backstory thing as well, yeah, isn't yeah. it? But yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what Rick Moy's is going to be like now. I'm hoping that it's going to be a better TV show because of a better work environment. Although apparently Justin Rowling was basically recording from his basement and wasn't in the office anyway. I so. think it's going to lose some of that like really free form improv but they'd like, already lost that after season two because well, the, they weren't doing the mind blowers anymore the in, well the interdimensional cable in, yeah they changed interdimensional cable yeah. to the mind blowers mind blowers is a bit more and they only did that for one season but the mind blowers thing was a more, bit more like let's put these characters in funny situations whereas interdimensional cable was just like ah oh, fake doors oh, look at these fake doors well, and, and this was the entirety of justin roiland's humor was I'm Mister Doorface. Look at me, and like, it kind of, it was a bit asinine and juvenile when compared with the the texture of the show. Yeah, and you know what I mean. Like, I don't. I, I suppose as much as it was part of Rick and Morty, um, and and like having seen some of his work from before, is absolutely his thing. Yeah, the way he introduces a character or builds a character is just to give them a silly name and go, "I'm Mister Mike Stand." You know, like- yeah, exactly. <laughs> I tell you what. going back to the comic briefly before we change subject again one thing i thought was interesting was in the comic they do the classic like doctor who like quick we have to run now thing and they only really did that in the first episode or maybe the first season because very soon after that if anything happens rick's just like i have a thing to sort it there are very specific scenarios where rick's like no no we do actually have to run because i i this is this situation like i've been some my powers have been hindered or whatever my intellect or my gadgets are all fucked or something the um vindicators episode is a really great example of that yeah but and he put himself into that um, oh yeah he saw them didn't he yeah um or the one the one joke that i thought was so underrated but was so good was the part where they the government are trying to like tr- like capture or trick rick and Moy. and it turns out the information they had to capture him like his weakness he's scared of pirates yeah but his weakness was like a metal it's like no i created the metal sanchezium and it's, like, it's like oh sanchezium and they're like all right hold back he's probably not scared of pirates either and then the pirates appear from invisible he goes oh the pirates was true run <laughs> <laughs> good joke and i think that's Pretty much as yeah, much I we get into without talking really in it. circles. I mean, beyond, like, analysing individual Rick and Morty episodes, and there's probably already a podcast that does that. I imagine there's quite a few. Yeah. And how how much can you really do beyond, that joke was good? Well, this is it, isn't it? I mean, really digging into, I think my favourite thing that happened is digging into Rick's relationship with Beth. Oh, yeah. And how that's how that's affected her relationship with Jerry and her children was like really well handled and really interesting when you actually scratched under the service every every episode that has the therapist in it oh yeah she she's the one of the best dr kim yeah she's back in the new season as well yeah like every time they introduce her you're like we're gonna get some revelations and the fact that rick just keeps showing up in her office Mm. to talk and he's, like, enjoying therapy, but doesn't want it to... Oh, it's just so good. And she's one of the only characters that Rick can't, like, outthink or, yeah. you know, fuck over anything. Because she's just like, look, I get what you're doing. Like, <laughs> I understand. Like it's Rick's fine. power is that you don't understand the things that he understands. And actually... She's yeah. just accepted, like, I don't understand the science, but I understand your motivations. Like, yeah. what you're doing. That breakdown at the end of the pickle episode. Yeah, fucking, like covered covered in rat feces Mm. and literally dying at your own hands and all the main fan base took from that was pickle rick like that was was like no you are missing was it the the woods for the trees or whatever like the best part is right at the end there is a subset of rick and morty fans that i cannot stand and it's the guys jumping up and down on the counter in mcdonald's demanding szechuan sauce that was fucking embarrassing yeah no to the point that I didn't tell people that I watched Rick and Morty for a good year after that happened to be to be like oh I'm a fan of Rick and Morty and for people to be like oh you mean like those people like god no like nowhere near that I think he's an arsehole yes I (laughs) he is he add him to the pantheon of characters where it's like the fans have missed the point of the character add him to Rorschach from Watchmen yeah the Joker uh harley quinn harley quinn to an extent but she's she's good now so batman batman is more complex i think because who's more complex bat batman 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 and we're talking about batman jr here not batman senior yeah but batman senior is like it's like a very <laughs> specific niche <laughs> oddly enough interesting enough i read the flashpoint beyond comic it was a good terrible hey, hey, should we do it terrible yeah we could do it because you know no- you know the characters and everything related to it if enough of you write in we'll do this terrible comic yeah we'll do it we'll just go for it yeah and it'll be a miserable day for me and that will be the enjoyment for all of you do you not enjoy shitting on a bad comic like i get that (sighs) a bit when i Talk shit, talk sh- when I talk shit about superhero comics. Like I, I get don't a little something feel like. good in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? I don't like the way it makes me feel that I have to do it. But on the one hand, I don't like shitting on someone's work. Yeah, like, well, this is it, isn't it? But on the other hand, when it when the work is is bad or worse because of the big studio or publisher marvel or dc then i'm like you guys ruin this i think the worst bit is when i notice something and then you vehemently argue against me like with spider-man with like with john romita Jr. spider spider-man mm. i still have those screenshots on my phone and i was with a bunch of artists the other day because that's just my life apparently did i send you the i did i send you a screenshot from like a subreddit and it was people having the same like Point of view, yeah yeah, 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 as me just shitting on where the eyes were looking and stuff. So you're not alone. Like no. it's a common thing. For reference, guys, um if you if you are an ardent comic li- comic literate listener, you will think that I was actually quite demure in my response to John Romita Jr.'s Bat- Spider Man, and that was take two. <laughs> we re-recorded it because his dad died, <laughs> and then we did a good little introspective on John Romita Senior. and oh, his amazing work. because he's a fucking incredible artist. Mm. Um and so yeah, my my actual response to that Spider-Man run is lost to time now because it was just too insensitive to put it out, wasn't it? Exactly. For the for the time, yes. Yeah, yeah, like the we recorded the episode and then like four days later I get a call from Ryan saying, by the way, drummer meat has just died. <laughs> it wasn't good soup. But I think we'll have that going forward as well. We're gonna do more superhero comics and to be fair, did it was it not more interesting? When the art was bad versus the constant house style, same and same again, kind of. Well, thing. I mean, it was something different, wasn't it? Exactly. So, speaking on that, the other comic that we are doing this week is a little. Well, this is we are back to spooky season. We took a little detour off the spooky train, yeah, and now we're back onto I the. I'm Morty's a little bit spooky. It can it's be a little, little bit spooky. spooky, but this is this is pretty spooky. But I would now say. we're back on spooky season, Ryan. I need one more from you, okay? one more spooky season baby spooky season <laughs> you don't know how much joy that brings <laughs> well luckily it's recorded and out yeah. there in the world so, so i can just listen to it when i'm having a bad day i'll give you an isolated clip can you can you just put time signatures for every time you do spooky season and all the spooky season episodes I mean, I, I'm not going to go back and do the previous ones, but I'm—I might do it for this one oh. if I remember. I might do it for this one. I don't that ask I just you did. for much. <laughs> I might do it, I'll do it for this one specifically because because when you say when I go back and edit, I'll listen to this part. Go, right, I'll jump back to a few minutes ago and I'll do that one. That one will be in the episode description. People will be like, why is there a, a timestamp for? Ryan saying spooky season amongst the. <laughs> this one's going to have a few more timestamps for when we do Rick Moy and when we do this next yeah, comic. Yeah. So, and uh, speaking of this next comic, is a spooky title. Uh, the or the harrow or harrower? I think it's just harrower. It's harrower. It? It's a weird word to say, isn't it? Harrower. Harrower. I don't think it's a word. I don't think so. I suppose it's the name of a character. So yeah, I, I, it's I, a they proper get away. Yeah, they get away with it in that regard. But it is a comic that came out this year. Um, surprisingly, a lot of horror comics don't all come out around October. No, like, you'd think, you they think wouldn't you? Take advantage of that. But I'm all for, like, if you want to keep releasing horror comics throughout the year, I'm going to say no, because I yeah, enjoy... Yeah, you can't just do it in Spooky season. I enjoy you? the horror comics. So, but this one, uh, this one is by Up again, very professional. Uh, so this was a deconstructed slasher genre from writer Justin Jordan and artist Bram Revel, who apparently did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, so good uh Cool. Good oh, right, uh, one that we'd have read, or? Um, it just says Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, so I'm assuming it's probably not the first one or the yeah, last Ronin. Yeah, yeah. Probably would have said if it was last Ronin. The last Ronin was so good. It was a good read. So good. And with this one, <laughs> I was going to say, this one is only a four-issue limited, se- limited series, series. Uh, do you, I'm generally asking I'm not like trapping you or anything Do you want to give us a brief sy- synopsis of the first issue? Because I feel like if you go anywhere past that You're just getting into like spoilers I'm g- I can give you a brief synopsis But it's kind of one of my It's like an early Jamie synopsis Where I give you kind of a left of field description Okay, is it of, of the first issue only? Though? No, it's of all four Alright, let's wait until we've do- talked oh, but about it's it it's good, it's good though Alright, for the for the listeners I'll yeah. say if you haven't read this comic I will say it was a good comic. I enjoyed it. It was a kind of a twist on the classic slasher uh, yeah. teens getting killed off genre of horror. Um, basically, the 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 gist is there is a town in New York called Barlow, uh, New York State, I assume, and there's the urban legend of the Harrower, and all the adults are like, "Yeah, it's just an urban legend. Don't worry about it." Um, this character, the main character we follow called Jessa Brink, she, her brother died like a year beforehand, so she's a bit like, you know, anniversary of his death kind of thing. Uh, they go into a party and maybe some, something I thought it was the 10 year anniversary. It might be, yeah, I might have got that wrong. It was, it was some time ago that it was the anniversary of her brother's death. Yeah. And yeah, they go into a party and maybe some spooky shenanigans happen, so... That's basically the story. I would say I quite enjoyed it. What did you generally think of it? It was fine. Worth, worth recommending or not? No. Fair enough. We'll get into the details, but that's the non-spoiler as much as we can get into. And if you want to go read it, it's four issues. I recommend it. Get into Time it. Time for the spoilers. And now we're into the spoiler section of Harrow. So. Yes. Hot fuzz. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit? A little bit. It's basically the same fucking plot i mean i wouldn't credit that only to hot fuzz i see what you mean but it's 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 also a bit like stepford wives it's a bit uh i think we're we'll like basically the reveal is if you're in this part it's basically a conspiracy by the entire town essentially to that this purge happens. all the teenagers once a decade so all of the adults in the town converge once a decade to purge all the teenagers to cleanse the town hmm. And this is um, the twist right at the end of issue four. So this yeah. is the, the end reveal. And then they have a Judas, which is one teenager who's in on it, mm. who gets them all to one place. Which I enjoyed. They refer to him as like the Judas goat yes. or, so, or something. And he has a goat on his t-shirt. Do you know what, that re- what that's a reference to? Uh, other than the Bible, no. Right. So, no, it's a very specific re- reference to a practice that happens in slaughterhouses. Okay. So for reference, my dad was a butcher and a meat inspector. So his job was to ensure that everything was above board that happened in an abattoir. And they have a stunner, right? So it's mm. a big machine and you walk, the sheep up to the, you walk the sheep up to it and one at a time they go in, they get a big old electric shock that stuns them and then you slit the throats. This is probably the spookiest part of the entire spooky month that yeah, we've done. Yeah, so what you'll do is you'll find one sheep that seems particularly smart and you will train the fucker get up on the thing and walk up the stairs and stand in the machine and then you let them out the other side alive and that is your judas sheep and you never kill your judas sheep because sheep are really good at following other sheep so you have a judas that's and... that's a great reference i'm glad you explained that because that does add like a another level to that plot point so my dad once saw uh, a slaughterman accidentally... He, like, a, a new slaughterman who didn't know about the Judas sheep... Was his name Slaughterman? <laughs> he was, um... Yeah, he was Butcher Slaughterman. Yeah. That was his name. And he killed the Judas, and they had to pull three other slaughtermen off him. Because they were so angry that he'd killed their Judas. Like, they went fucking apeshit. Because uh, all of a sudden, their job was a lot harder. Mm. Because they had to wrangle all these sheep up now until they could find and train a new Judas. But also... Even though they kill all this livestock every day, they're still human beings. <laughs> they were like, You killed our pet. Yeah. Like we'd had him for years. He was a homie. Like, why? He was twice as big as all the other sheep. How did you not know not to kill the Judas? It's a particular kind of horror, like a, a horror <laughs> thing of, of well, I was gonna say the, the concept. Because yeah. imagine being a human that you're you're a human who leads other humans to I mean, this that's the thing of the comic. I think what would have—I don't know—I—I I would have made. I'm asking, would it have made it better or worse if the character, this guy who I can't remember the name of, but he was the essentially the Judas sheep for the for these teenagers, would have made it better or worse if he was like a bit remorseful or was put upon him because he's very much a. I'm loving all this. Like he kill all fully the kids. bought like, into it. Yeah, he's like bowing down to the Harrow and he's like, "I'm one of you. I'm on your side." Like, cool. Well, he reveals himself in like the end of issue one, maybe the start yeah. of issue two, by just getting on his knees in front of the Harrow and being like, "You are his servant. I am a servant also." Yeah. And I was like, "Whoa!" Do you think that was a good twist? Well, yes. I think it would have been more interesting if we'd have seen him as a more sympathetic character throughout the whole run. Yeah, I think in terms of like tropes of these kind of horrors, there's only one I could think where so normally with pre like late nineties, that character was never like the bad one. Yeah. There was but they were often used as a red herring. Yeah. And the way I know this specifically is because they played with that in the first Scream film. Yeah. Where he would that that character was made to look like they were the killer and then they weren't, and then they were again. So it's they played with that. You know, can you remember the first scary movie film where one, there's the two male characters, the protagonist, like the main character's boyfriend and then his friend. Mm. And he'd done all the murders because he thought his friend was in love with him. Yeah. And it turned out that he just wasn't gay. And he'd like the whole time he'd just had like a complete misapp- misapprehension about what was going on. Yeah. That really tickled me when <laughs> I was a kid. That really tickled me. You know, interesting- interestingly, Scream, the working title was scary movie no shit was yeah. it because that's like the the thing of it is it's about scary movies and yeah that, that's the line in the first phone call is like what's your favorite scary movie so yeah. that was a working title i don't know why they changed it but <laughs> what would the scary movie have done well let's call it scream yeah. like, <laughs> scream is a very good name for a horror back film. to the rick and Moy, there's an alternate dimension where scream was called scary movie and scary movie was called scream <laughs> was there actually i, don't know. I is there actually an alternate dimension? Well, yeah, of course there is. I mean, there might, like there's theoretically, infinite. there's one for everything, potentially. Yeah, they're infinite. Infinite, well, infinite curve, finite curve, if you're talking Rick and Morty. Yeah. That's a deep. But, yeah, how do you feel about that twist? It wasn't just the twist that, oh, he's in on it. The twist, it was the first reveal of, like, oh, there's something grander going on. So, yeah, I think... It's definitely really important for this because it's such a short run that we get a sense that there's something bigger happening right at the start. So I think on that level, it was really effective. I think the fact that he was in on it took away a lot of the suspense. But then also, I felt like that suspense came back when he, when he got to the party, when he got to the party and was just effortless, effortlessly lying about yeah. everything being fine. And I thought that was a good, like ramping up the tension for the reader. That reminded me of the old Hitchcock thing the the, yeah. the building tension is for anyone who doesn't know no. his example is if you have a, a, a scene in a film where two people are talking at a table and then an explosion happens you go what the fuck was that if you the, do the same scene but you show the bomb at the beginning and then show the conversation then that's the tension yeah and i suppose that's how they built the tension i just think it would have been more powerful if we'd had a bit more time to build him up as a likable character before we then realize that he is the dirtbag. Yeah, but I feel like they were they they had four issues to do it in. And I think they did the best they could with it. They that. smashed it in four issues. Yeah. Like I feel like I mean, I suppose one of the best things a comic book can do for me is leave me wanting more, and this didn't. It satiated what I got from it. I wouldn't mind I wouldn't mind seeing like a uh, continuation of this of this world. Like, yeah, hundred percent. Maybe next year, like things go a bit different, and we know who the Harrower is, and there's, there's, there would be more of an emotional connection. Well, I suppose to a the sequel. fucked up thing is that we were that Jessa does become the next Harrower, and exactly. we don't, we don't see her become. So, for somebody who hasn't read it, there is the Judas Goat, and then they pick one of the kids to become the Harrower, mm. and it's a generation that goes back four hundred years. They say, mm. um. And so Jess's brother, who she's been grieving for all this time, it turns out he is the next harrower. I did see that coming once after a certain point. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think it's the point at which you go in, she runs into the room and she sees all the adults there and you work out that her dad is kind of in charge of it. Yeah. And we get a nod to that right at the start because the mum doesn't want to go. And he says, well, no, our family is really important here. We've been doing this for a long time. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of saw that coming, but it was a nice twist. And then the tension between them at the end, um, it kind of, you know, you know, when you talk like deprogramming became a thing mm. after nine eleven. Um the like... Or even like Waco and stuff like before then. Yeah, it's been part of the American consciousness for a while that people get programmed by cults. Maybe originally the Manson murders. Yeah. the original one, yeah. And so seeing just a hint of that kind of oh, this person's been really conditioned and she's trying to break through that conditioning. Mm. I thought that was interesting. And again, we've seen that a bit in comic books. We see it a bit in Why the Last Man, don't we? Mm. Where, you know, there's certain characters have been programmed and they're trying to deprogram themselves. And you see it a lot in superhero comics and normally because it's, it's normally a twist related to like, oh my God, this good character's gone bad. Yeah. Oh no, wait, they were brainwashed or something. So there's that. Like when Captain America's working for Hydra. Yes, yeah. The, the the controversial hail hydra i literally read that and i was like oh oh sales are not going well then mm. are they <laughs> like we needed something to boost everything kind of impressed that i knew about that well it, it was one of those things that hit the news almost like the the wider captain america's news. a fucking nazi yeah <laughs> similar to when superman died like that yeah. was like a news event and then he was back like months later because he's superman that. you can't kill superman but then it's still it's still like made for such a pivotal moment like the death of superman is remembered by how people felt in the moment yeah and then that i think started the if a character dies they're going to come back very quickly anyway so don't even worry about it but yeah i i like this i i enjoyed the art from the start i like the the additional line work i thought made it like kind of a creepy kind of vibe which i enjoyed yeah i quite like i mean the art the art wasn't anything special for me I, th- I think I think that w- I'm having an issue now with the way I read comics because I've been doing this for a little while, and so after the p- over the past year, I've read like 40 comics, and I probably would have read maybe five or six. Mm. And so I'm much more critical of art than I was at the start of the podcast. Right? The art is good, isn't it? Like mm. there were points where I had the same issue that I sometimes had in the ones where I couldn't really tell characters apart, and I wasn't yeah. sure who was doing things. And again, they didn't have much of a distinct voice like E kind of was very scared and that became a thing through the comic but beyond that a lot of the character models are quite samey they all have that kind of same pink or purple toned long hair with the bob haircut and stuff i think a lot of this like other horrors we've done recently i think they and a lot of other comics generally they rely on the tropes so to kind of get across like here are the teens that are the focus of the story and here's the what the main character i think it and also like it knows that they're going to be killed off quite soon, anyway. Did you notice the very subtle use of a non-binary character without anybody mentioning that they were non-binary? I did. There was, uh, they referred to them as they a couple of points, and I, I literally went, "Oh, that's nice." And that was yeah. It was yeah. kind of cool, wasn't it, that they did it without it being a thing? Like it was just this is normal in our world now. Yeah. There is a non-binary person, and everybody's using their pronouns, and nobody's making a big deal out of it. Yeah, and it's not important to the story, but it represents the rich color of human life now that that's just a really normal thing in our world and i thought that was really cool and also i like the idea that maybe there's someone out there who went fucking woke because I mean, imagining those people is just always fun oh yeah isn't it just sat in their sweaty hovels we had a great one very recently did which we? you might not this was in the video game space so the I've heard all about it Starfield <laughs> yeah. yeah did you see did you see the clip yeah <laughs> but for the for, the for anyone who doesn't know and how could you not if you're into this kind of space but the game Starfield came out and one of the points of it was that you could pick the pronouns of your character which is also especially fun because they never use them again (laughs) afterwards like (laughs) they just did it to fuck with them well it's just in if for anyone who it matters to it's like oh this is nice and then that's it like same with this comic but you sell you still somehow had people raging about it and one guy in particular uh, unfortunately a british youtuber Mm -hmm. um he, He's Scottish, is he? Oh uh, no, he, he was—he was from here somewhere. But he basically was like fucking pronouns, and like was so gotten to by this very, very minor thing. I think there's this hilarious mindset that the concept of a pronoun was invented by trans people, and you're yeah. like, you realise they're just a fucking feature of almost every language, right? The epitome of that is that there was a American politician. <laughs> Either, it was either Lauren Boba or the other one, the one who got angry Marjorie Taylor they, Green. one of them. The one who got angry that they were teaching pronouns in schools. No, even, even worse, she, she, she made a tweet and it was, there are no pronouns in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> You've told me about this. <laughs> and everyone just collectively went, "Yep, yeah, that tracks. And <sighs> on the first day, yeah. he created... <laughs> yeah. God is literally a he, a he, <laughs> him, <laughs> according like, to the Bible. The, the the absolute abundance of pronouns in the Bible became a big thing in the '90s, didn't it? When did the it? whole got, well, yeah, that God is a woman. Okay, like the the you know there was a bunch of like edgy American auteurs and musicians. I think the Violent Femmes did a song that said God is a woman, and then obviously uh, in Dogma, mm, I've seen that one. Alanis yeah. Morissette is God. Mm. That was that that was like the most controversial part of that film is the fact that kevin smith had the absolute gall to make god, god a woman and that's that's definitely not the worst thing he did in terms of religious dogma in well, it well yeah no and this is it like dogma is all meant to be a big challenge to christian dogma specifically catholicism i think well yeah i mean when you think about dogma you generally think you're generally talking about catholicism mm. aren't you incidentally i sent a friend recently a picture of a cat in a pope outfit and my capture for was catholicism yeah that's... i just wanted to get that in there but yeah um back to the comic uh... yeah well one more thing you know <laughs> the sure. pa- you know the papacy yeah yeah i'm re- aware of it yeah yeah you know the pope has a special car to accommodate his hat the Pope mobile. They get really upset when you call it the Pope Mobile. <laughs> like the papacy- well, That's what it is. Yeah, I know. But the papacy really hate it. <laughs> don't make a Pope Mobile if you don't want people to call it the Pope Mobile. Like it's pretty simple. It's great. Put bloody put the sunroof down on a limo if you want his hat yeah, to fit. Just give him a fucking soft top. Can you imagine the Pope rolling up in an MX5? <laughs> or I, uh like a dirt bike or something. Like this was all I had. A drop top VW Bug. Yeah. <laughs> in purple. One of those bouncing cars. <laughs> like lowrider. And his hat falls in the off. Lowrider. <laughs> and his hat falls off, and he goes, "Not again." <laughs> or something in Italian. Maybe he's Italian. I don't know. There's a moment in A Knight's Tale. It's the the training montage, and in what in A Knight's Tale has that song. Lou it's the low rider and it's actually that song hadn't been released (laughs) But it's like he's on a horse like jousting at things and that's playing and you're like it's a great tune it's a great scene But if you think about it there's a certain element of cognitive dissonance that needs to happen Mm. for that to make even a lick of sense well they had chaucer in it as well didn't they they did have chaucer in it played by paul bettany though Mm, yeah and like Paul Bettany just brings sparkle to any role. He, he Paul Bettany's such a good actor. Mainly vision in the MCU. He made he made certain MCU films tolerable for me. <laughs> you watching Tony Stark like when's Jarvis coming back? Well, yeah, when's Paul <laughs> Bettany coming back? Like he's fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> like you're like if you were in like a a screen test of Iron Man, it's like. P- if if Jarvis isn't in the scene, characters should be asking, "Where's Jarvis?" Jarvis. <laughs> this one guy really wants more Jarvis. Just me with a Paul Bettany T-shirt <laughs> from, from Sale specifically. Though. Him as Chaucer. Mm. So back to the comic. Back to the uh, comic. Back to the comic. Uh, what do you think of the design of the Harrower? Did you did you find the it was a creepy look or? Yeah, I mean the skin mask mm. is obviously a bit creepy, isn't I it? I made note specifically the lack of eyelids and lips. Yes, because just that look, like my kind of degree of like scary stuff, like it's obviously very different if you're reading a comic in the daylight when you're meant to be working versus (laughs) like at night like you said before about was it uh playing silent hill 2 and that was at night you know like it, it affects you a lot more so i try and imagine with stuff like this i think well how would i feel if i saw that image at night like i'm trying to get to sleep open my eyes see that and maybe that's like too high a bar but that face if i saw that i'd be like fucking hell i mean right? it's a skin face that's been sewn on and he's got the big black trench coat and all the knives mm. and he throws knives and it's yeah it's a bit Yeah, it's a bit of the unrelenting killer which is as we've discovered now is a common trope again yeah super similar to what's going on in the maniac mm. really like an enhanced unrelenting force i mean there's that scene where the kid has got a what to be honest with you looks to be an ar-15 yeah if we get if we're getting down to brass tacks with it which is not a great look for an american Mm -hmm. comic but whatever um he's got this ar-15 and he's pumping rounds into him and he throws a knife and just completely macerates the barrel of this machine gun was it not a shotgun i thought it was a shotgun should we check because yeah i feel like the ar-15 is actually quite a potent symbol in america right now I I only have a phone in front of me. You have a laptop. I've got a laptop. I'll I'll do the the quick because I'm on the comic. So let me just see if I can find it. I think it was issue two, wasn't it? When it yeah. was all like kicking off and the in the butt. Uh, while I'm googling that, uh, I, it was interesting that they go straight to the big teen party, which is normally. That's normally, like, the end or, like, towards the end of a film. Like, Scream is obviously the big one, but there's a lot of others to do that as well. Isolated house on a lake, man. We see the lake. They even show us the lake. Yep. And there's no phone signal, which we later discovered was, uh, <laughs> was a whole thing. Well... But no mobile signals, like, they're in the woods, I kind of get it, but then when the when the landline gets cut, you're like, oh, shit's getting serious now. The fact that we had to use a landline in the first place was, <laughs> was the scary part. Because it's made quite clear that they all have smartphones because they use them as torches. So I'm looking at now, the the when they're outside the house, beginning of issue three, he's got a pump shotgun. Oh, uh, okay, mm. sorry. So, yeah, it's a shotgun. Uh, you might just be like, seeing ar-15 they come up in like modern media a lot like they're obviously a hot topic of discussion yeah. with the whole gun debate in america right now so they it's probably infiltrated your mind in that way yeah but um i mean the fact that i as a british person who has no horse in that race knows what an ar-15 is yeah it tells you a lot it's telling it? isn't it yeah i one of my issues with this uh there was a lot of points that a lot of a lot of things i didn't like about the character carter creed and the reason i so he's the son of the police yeah or yeah, yeah. oh, just off what do you think of that first killing i thought that was like a good like yeah, yeah it, it was how a s- solid first murder mm. wasn't it yeah and that a huge horror trope of yeah. like here's a murder at the start here are the stakes now we get into the normal stuff that then builds you know yeah. what's coming later but the character Carter Creed, like immediately I made note of, on hearing a name, I was like, that's a Stan Lee name. Well, yeah, isn't it? Isn't it? Everyone else has like normal names. It's like Carter Creed. Sounds like an action hero. I really liked the character. So I like the, here's the thing I like the, the, the character in terms of the larger plot. Yeah. Like I thought he was a good, he made a good point in it. Bit of a Deus Ex Machina points, but like a good, like, yeah, of course this is going to happen because we saw earlier that yeah. that started that off. But a lot of his lines, like his dialogue, like the dialogue in the rest of it was, was fine. Like the, the dialogue for me, it fit the trope they were aiming for. I thought one of his lines was one of the best lines of dialogue in the whole thing. Oh, we might be referring to the same line. Do you remember what it is? Well, it's his first line where he shoves past the um, Judas goat. And he's like, oh, watch where you're going, Carter. And he's like, I was. right." And yeah. I thought that was really cool. Like that had a bit of an edge to it. Like, yeah, I was watching where I was going and I like, the- fucking walked into you. I agree with you that that's good. The ones I may know of, I think you'll agree, are the other. Um, me. So one of them, they're going through these tunnels at the bottom. Uh, at, uh, under the houses, there's tunnels to reach all of them. That's how the harrow gets around. And one of them asks, like, hey, what's with these tunnels? And he says, my father would have called it a metaphor for this whole town. And I was like, "Yeah, that's yeah, maybe. really... What's... I'm trying to think of the word. It's like... It reminds me of another person in a tunnel talking about their dad. Cyborg and Flash, yeah. <laughs> Flashpoint. Was he in the tunnel at that point? He was. Yeah. They were they were in the tunnels going to get Superman. Right, right. You know, in Superman's lair and he was like, "Oh, I just want to make my dad proud." Hmm. But that <laughs> that felt like such a like a pretentious line for the situation. Yeah. Like they're they're running for their lives and like, "Yes, there's these big reveals happening and it's all panicky." And he had the moment to be like, "I'm going to do a a a, a, I'm meta- a bit. metaphor. I'm doing of, a yeah. bit a bit about the metaphor of what my dad would have said. And then later, when um, Jessa is fighting her brother, Hara and like kind of rebelling against the parents, he goes, that's my girl. Yeah, I, I thought that was a bit weird. Yeah, I was like, this is life or death, man. Like, what are you? Like, are you so... This, this is what I've said before, come back to the ones again, when characters are, like desensitized, that they can just kind of be detached and cool. Like, Joss and quippiness. Exactly, it? yes. And again, for the, for the four issues... Those are the only kind of two lines that yeah. like took me out of it a little bit. Everything else was very serviceable dialogue. No, I think you're right. I think you have a valid point and mm-hmm. I and I clocked both of them as well now that in retrospect now that I think about it, yeah. Hmm. I liked that they did like uh, other little horror tropes like again being a fan of the horror I like like the false jump scare when the boyfriend comes up to Jessa. Yeah. And that's a very common thing where at this stage of the story it's like someone's round a corner, it's just a normal person, but you yeah. just get there like, Ugh, like something's going on. I mean, it's often used as a way to show the main characters becoming jumpy. It should be. Like that's the good use of it. Unfortunately, the hack use of it is just like to get a jump scare when yeah. everything's fine. Like it, yeah, that's you've articulated where that's serviceable to the story. Yeah. In worse horrors, it's that's not always the case. Yeah. Sometimes it's just like the character's absolutely fine, and then someone's like <laughs> round right the corner. I like, and you always what pisses me off about those kind of jump scares is they're not proper jump scares. Sometimes they're not proper jump scares. So what they do is they put like a a violin screech, yeah, or something, and just you're like give you that effect. And it's just like that's cheating. Like if you're gonna <laughs> jump scare me, at least like set the tension and then have something appear, or or the noise if the noise is diegetic. Yeah. so it's like actually in the world that's fine because yeah. that's like you've written it in a way where yeah. it happens but when you just in a movie when you Add just legit, non-diegetic yeah, noise to scare the audience it's like fuck you like that's cheap like, <laughs> but like uh, to it's all cheap though isn't it this is the thing well some of it's done better than others I and mean, like yeah. as you articulate like that's a good version of that's that. a good Same use thing, of it yeah, yeah. I like the the art coming back to I like the the art on the gore. I thought it was really good. It was quite detailed and Yeah. I mean the whole thing had that thing that I've been seeing a lot of right now which is like sepia toned. Well, soft color palette this, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, very yeah, lo- lots of warm toned colors. Mm. Um, but the same thing was happening in the human target where it was all very warm toned like there wasn't Mm. a lot of cool toned colors do you know much about cool toned and warm toned colors when i'm talking about it so i do now recently and this is a bit of a tangent have you learned about it recently i learned about it a bit recently because i watched and for anyone who wants to watch as well i watched a video by style theory from matt pan his videos and he did one about uh dressing for your colors and i famously if anyone knows me is probably one of the least fashionable people you've ever met Mm. like my dress sense is very much a keep it very simple and no one can accuse you of dressing badly kind of thing i don't think i saw you in anything that wasn't a t-shirt and jeans for about a decade oh yeah and I, i still keep to that but now i watched a video by him and it's talking about finding the colors that work with your skin palette so I thought, well, I, I should at least buy the things. I'm still wearing t-shirt and jeans, but at least yeah. I should buy the stuff that like the colours work better and stuff. But essentially a cool like you can take a red and you can have a cool toned red which has more blue or purple in its composition. And this is a lot of warm toned colours, isn't it? I'd say having watched the the fashion video, you'll have to explain it to me in terms of the seasons. So like is he a winter, is it a summer? Like yeah. But yeah, I mean, when you get deep into color theory, not all reds are red. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's different compositions that you can use to get a certain tone. Hmm. And so you can have a very warm toned color, which has more from the red end of the spectrum in its composition, and then a cooler toned color, which could still be a color from the warm tone of the spectrum. Like you can have like a cooler toned red. Um, So it's a red that has more blue in it, basically, in its composition, and it just make- gives it a cooler tone. Um again spent a lot of time around a bunch of artists and they taught me it was it was when i was picking out colors for walls and stuff and they were like well that's a bit of a cool tone color and i'm like what the fuck are you on about and then you learn that there is rhyme and reason to it and it's actually just about light yeah and for anyone wondering i'm a autumn uh season apparently in terms of colors yes Think I'm winter. I would say you're looking at you now. I would say you're a winter, yeah, which is still cool toned, but it's more bright colours. Whereas like autumn is more dark colours, yeah, yeah. But again, just dressing to your skin tone. Apparently, there's all tests you can do where it's like hold up like jewelry to your skin. Does it look better with gold or silver? And if you reverse the contrast on a picture of yourself like what's showing you know high your contrast low contrast you're supposed to when you match jewelry up you're meant to do it with the color of your veins mm. so if you've got really blue veins you're meant to wear more silver and if you've got greenier veins you're meant to wear more gold yeah i wear both because <laughs> I i wear a lot of jewelry Fair enough. Well, back to the comic. Yeah, uh, sorry. Yeah, no, we should no, just don't... cut that whole bit out. I'd say, I'll leave it in. So someone might learn a little something. Oh, seasons and colours. I mean, comic book nerds could probably choose to learn about we, what they should be wearing. We We could. <laughs> I agree with you as a member of the of yeah, the, I'm, who I'm was a, aimed at, we could do. I'm with. a card-carrying member of the community who has a podcast. Like yes. I count myself in that. Don't worry. We could all do with a little more fashion sense. <laughs> if you've got the time. That's a big thing. So have you got the time to even worry about that kind of stuff? But back to the comp color composition of the comic um yes there's a lot of red used in the violent parts i liked that they had the colors for the dancing the dis uh, the house party dancing scenes they used the the blue and the pink and purple and i think that was meant to be like the flashing lights of what's going on and again that kind of puts you in like a ethereal kind of bit for a moment but you know there's this terror coming along the way so it i think scenes like that are good they almost make you go like guys, you need to be panicking. Like, yeah. as the reader, you, that's what creates attention. Like, you guys should be worrying right now, and they're just not. <laughs> and then you just don't give a shit. Mm. I feel like some of the kills, and this comes back to the whole genre of the slasher, horror, yes. uh, slasher genre as well, they tend to make kills overly violent, and yeah. the point of that is meant to, you know empathize with the pain and suffering of the characters well, i mean when when we're in the, when we're when we're reading the maniac we see hundreds of kills whereas here we only actually see four or five mm. with some of them though because they make them so overly violent some of them can come off a bit slapstick yeah and, like, yeah that is a trope of the genre Cartoonish. well yeah so like the first kill of the teenagers we see is the non-binary character's name i've forgotten but they Get a chain wrapped around the neck and they're decapitated. No, by the chain? they don't die like that because they 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 die they peacefully die in the they the the non-binary <laughs> character doesn't get decapitated because we see them sit down and go I can't go on anymore. Do they? Because yeah, they have that whole moment where they're like, oh, I can't go on anymore. Un- well, I think I'm thinking I'm definitely thinking of a different character because I know yeah. who you're talking about, but I'm fairly certain that the non-binary character was the one who had to stay by the car. And so the reason, and the reason I think that is because they refer to them as they, when the guy, the Judas goat, he... Oh, maybe there's two non-binary yeah, characters then, one So the, you know the guy who, or the person that can't go on anymore and sits down in the yeah, thing? They're I know referred him, yeah. to as they. They, yeah. I know them, yeah. So that, that, was, that was the person that I was on about. Yeah. The- I'm talking about the, the character who had to stay by the car, because it was their car, and that's when I noticed the the the, the they references. The well, pronouns. that's their partner. Then maybe they're both they. Then that's yeah. probably it. Then yeah. But so that character, the one that stayed by the car, yeah, they have the the decapitating by the chain. Yeah, and I thought that was a bit slapstick. I yeah. thought that, and again, you have that when you go a bit too over the top with the violence, yeah. that it can come across a bit slapstick. Yeah, and you don't get as much of the suffering with like a decapitation. It looks horrific. Yeah, but you don't get as much of like the. The empathizing with the suffering of the characters because it's over pretty quickly yeah it looks horrible but yeah that was one part i noticed and again that's just you know the trope of the genre really isn't it uh the another very tropey part is the one character going in the basement yeah 100 percent. and i as soon as they started going down i was like this is going to be great and they know what's going on because they say is anyone coming with me and they're all like nope yeah. <laughs> we live in a town where there's an urban legend of the harrower so no we will not be coming down with we're you safety in numbers we're remaining together <laughs> yeah and that character goes down and then Harrow's there and then they see him initially in the light it's like oh he's fine and then he like it's just his top half and they he drops to the floor and there's the harrower um but yeah that's always a tropey scene which i enjoyed as well i think there's a very distinct difference between like the first two issues which are very Tropy and then the second two issues where it starts to get into this other version well i suppose the the yeah because the second two episodes are the big reveal aren't they mm. and so and it's, it's really interesting that actually if you look at this as quarters and you can i mean obviously normally you'd look at a film in three acts wouldn't you but yeah the whole second half is really just the last act mm. you know like the last act is played out over half the comic yeah yeah and but, I, that's why I was, uh, made the point earlier, they get to the house party so quickly. Yeah, because they need to, because really that would be the second act of the comic and they're getting there halfway through as opposed to two thirds of the way in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I love the trope of the the big teen house pie in these kind of horrors. Yeah. The, the main reason is it was kind of pointed out well in something else I saw, but it's basically like these murders happen over normally like a span of a bit of time. Yeah. And then it's like the characters, these main the main teenage friends are like, God, it really sucks. It's, it's pretty horrific how this person we knew got violently murdered recently. Party. Anyway, party on Friday night. Make sure you uh, bring the booze. and. Well, it's like there's been a spate of murders and we're all pretty vulnerable. So what we should do is advertise that we're all going to be in the same place, inebriated with no adult supervision at the same time. That seems really sensible. Yeah, and I think, it, <laughs> I think it's meant to play off as this kind of like teens just like, they 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 think they're invincible, so they just do whatever. I feel like any... Real life situation of that, like the entire year of the school just is off for the week, and they yeah. have like counseling and stuff like that. Bro. Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, that's just for like a, an accident, like let alone a violent murder. So, so it's 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 a it's kind of a funny trope when you watch a lot of these, and it's like, yeah, we're having another pie. It's like, yep, there Let's you go. And then the goat turns up. I like that we can just call him the goat. Yeah, and he's like, oh, that's, that's pretty didn't... bad because like the goat normally means <laughs> the greatest <laughs> yeah. of all time. You say uh, the he, Judas, yeah, the Judas guy turns up, and he's like, "Oh, you couldn't spring for the good stuff." And the person whose party is like, "Yeah, you know, I wasn't going to spend extra money just to get you a nice eat IPA." And I was like, "Oh, they're did talking you, about beer." Did you vehicle. feel? Did you feel attacked? I did a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Wanker beer drinkers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, a little bit. I was, I was a little bit incensed mm. by that. So, coming back to the the ending, which mm. I thought was probably the most, it, it was what obviously the four issues was building up to, it was very interesting. I, that's how endings work. It they generally I mean in this <laughs> in this state of comics, like who knows? <laughs> who it could knows? Be, yeah. Yeah. But I think with that, what I liked was obviously it was if you're paying attention, you know that the parents are in on something. I think the the shock and the 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 shock of the reveal is how formal it all is. And that really adds to like, oh my god, this is all a thing that's happening. Like I think Black Mirror did it a couple of times with things like that, where it's like Actually, everyone is in on it, like that kind of. The review. most recent season of Black Mirror. Yet. Yeah, I didn't like it. I really liked well, it. Well, I say I liked most of it. I didn't like the last two. I've not seen the last two yet. Well, then we can't get into it then. But I really because like the, the the previous season had very much been somebody gets a chip put in their head and bad things happen. Whereas I feel like this one kind of came away from the technology a little bit, and it was more a straight up and down existential thing. Wait till you watch oh, the last two, no. and then we'll do talk. they just go straight back to it? I don't want to ruin anything for you. Okay, but watch those, and we'll get into it. We'll okay. get into it on the on the. I yeah, think we'll do it on air. Why not? <laughs> it'll be a, it'll be one of our tangents. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, the formal reveal at the end, I see what you mean by the hot fuzz comparison. Like, Yeah, right? It's a shadowy group of the townspeople having a cleanse. But it didn't feel like shadowy in the sense. It felt more like, for me, it felt a bit more like, trying to think of like good, like, again, like Stepford Wives or that kind or of like thing. Or like the Purge episode of Rick and Morty. <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> when yeah. He, when you cut right down to it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the ending of it, for sure, yeah. But with this, again, it's it's the formalness of it which i think adds a bit of terror to everything it's for me i think the the scariest part like obviously it's a deconstruction of the genre and the uh, the beginning it's people are dying people are being violently murdered by the end it's the true horror for me was a reveal of the people who you rely most for safety the parents are orchestrating your violent murder and i think the saddest thing is that i really thought that what was his name chart charter Carter. Carter Creed. I thought that Carter Creed's interception was going to end it all. And then we see Jessa as the next harrower. Yeah. And Jessa is probably the character that we see the most of. Probably the character that we identify with the most in the text. Mm. And then we see her with her hair shorn as the harrower. Yes. And g- ha- imagine going her going through whatever this process is. The, yeah. the sewn up lips, I think, was a particularly like strong visual thing for this very x-men film deadpool <laughs> i was thinking more something a bit more like intentionally scary as opposed to unintentionally scary because people were like what <laughs> the fuck are you doing at Deadpool? what have you done to ryan reynolds yeah but um, yeah i thought that like the parents would be so organized in this extreme horror they've inflicted on their kids i liked the little additional part and i think this was like a really good use of like small panels where they show the parents all saying Thank you for yeah. keeping my child innocent. Thank and you the, for cleansing my child. Yeah. Thank you for, made, for, for preserving their innocence. And the fact that some of them are very into it as much as Jess's dad. And then others are very clearly not. Uh, Most notably this. Jess's mum. Yes. But and also some of the others who are just like really solemnly like. Yeah. But, but they still have to say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's like it was an under presented factor of it which when you take a little closer look, you're like, oh, that's really horrible. Yeah, no, really dark. I mean, it kind of put me in mind of like the Hunger Games films. Mm, yeah. at the Reaping, where they're just like, oh, this again, you know? But the fact that say, these kids have just lost their... They, these parents have lost their kids in very violent murder and they just have to thank, thank the, the person, person who for did it. it. Like, yeah. That's pretty horrible. I don't know why they thanked Jessa. I don't know why they were thanking Jessa specifically. That was a bit weird. I don't know if that was like... <sighs> i don't know I, I don't know if that was like cause she was part of it or something and maybe that was they were already assumed that she was going to become yeah. the next harrow maybe it's one of those little things that's like maybe it's a plot hole but it's just like it's so it's small enough hole that it doesn't really matter and it's an impactful enough set of pa- it's an impactful enough page that i'm kind of like even if it is a plot hole it sort of needs to be there yeah Do you know what i mean like there there is an implied reason i think actually what it really gets across is how ritualistic this is Mm. like there is a ritualistic expectation that they thank the last survivor yeah and you're like oh there's no good reason for them to do that and it's just a bit fucking warped isn't it it's funny you say that because one part i was going to talk about was the the motivation or or the the explanation at the end and god told us to do it yeah <laughs> but what made me think of that, especially whereas I probably wouldn't have otherwise, is because of the last comic we did, the, yeah, the, the neighbors. And so one of my big issues with that was the lack of clarity of like what's actually going on here. Yeah. Like they showed us a bit too much, but not enough. And I feel with this, this was a good example of like here's a brief explanation. It doesn't really matter, but here is a bit of an explanation. So yeah. for them being like, we've done this for four hundred years. The village has done this and it keeps the town pure for reasons because we're all mental basically yeah. and th- the people who organize it are obviously unhinged but that their reason is their reason and that's enough to be like i i understand that's enough for me like it, it adds to the horror because it's such a senseless reason so i kind of feel like we've exhausted our conversation about this comic in particular I don't know. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to sort of touch on. I think that's pretty much it. And I think I, I will summarize by saying, I think this is a, if you're a fan of horror, I think this is a a nice little horror story, which is emboldened a bit by its deconstruction of the genre. So we've now read three for spooky season, and mm. this is our last like For spooky season. There we go. <laughs> Every time you do that, you're just adding more spooky season work for yourself because they're two time signatures you've got to do now. Well, one day in the future, hopefully by next year, next October, I'm hoping that I might have a soundboard by then because you can get a soundboard that does all yeah, like the, yeah. the mics plugged into and everything. Uh, not to reveal too much about our setup right now, but it's pretty basic. Yeah, <laughs> but with the soundboard, you have that all plugged in, and you have the buttons with the sound bits on Yeah. Them. So for that, I will like You could be play. like a radio DJ in the 90s. Exactly. woof. woof. <laughs> and but another was, one! <laughs> but I was thinking more... The first one would be... spooky. I'll just play it like it plays on the button and stuff. So hopefully so, that'll be the first one. We've now read three horror comics on the trot. Yes. And I don't know that... I'd certainly not really delved into horror, horror comics. I don't know that it was a genre of comics that you were particularly um, familiar with before we did this. Not massively, no. How do you feel about horror comics? So, for me, and I've said this before, I like the, the, I like the genre of horror. I, I like the stuff that goes beyond whether it scares you or not. I like the, ooh, what's this? Like, what's the story here? I was having this conversation with somebody the other day because I just watched Prisoners. That great film. Great film. Really great film. Yeah. Um, and we were talking about, you know, how much more impactful existential horror is. Mm. And I think existential horror is kind of the natural evolution of the genre. And I think, even though two of the three horror comics we've read have been slashers, there's still been that sense of existential horror there. And I think it seems to be that's where horror comics have gone. Like mm. they tend. To, I mean, obviously, you know, there's there's whatever you whatever you, whatever your ear is, you're going to be able to find it. Mm. But you pick. I mean, I don't have much say in what we read, clearly. <laughs> sometimes sometimes i'll ask you yeah, 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 yeah. Some, some, sometimes i get a seat at the table and those decisions made generally i don't um not that i'm saying that i want to take on that work that's that's, that's late <laughs> i'm i'm I, I sounded really spicy there i'm very grateful that you do <laughs> that because it is labor all right here's <laughs> the schedule you, yeah, know, yeah. you pick them now you fucking get on with it then mate it's gonna be weeks and weeks of alan moore and pokemon <laughs> did i i literally sent you a voice though at like three o'clock in the morning the other day didn't i being like there's a pokemon comic we should do (laughs) pretty much how all the notes for this podcast happen. yeah absolutely um but no yeah i feel like you picked three of the more highly regarded horror comics that have come out in the past few years didn't you this year specifically yeah um and they, and they did all ear towards The Existential, and I kind of like it. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite enamored of the horror comic genre now, having read a few of them. I think with these specifically, like, The Neighbors was kind of its own thing in terms of just what it was, like yeah. the story. I think with Maniac of New York and this, uh, The Harrower. Uh, harrow, I think they have made them, they kind of make it more existential because they've had to make them different. I think if the comic was just here's a killer and he's killing people and someone might survive i think that's so basic like even as a film just like if you a horror film in this day and age people would be like yeah but what else what else is there so for anything to gain any traction the the actual plot has to have something else some richness just like the blurb like the selling point has to be a bit like yeah but what else is happening here so with maniac it's you know the killer is is just still ongoing, and people have gotten okay with it, like just happening. And with this, with this one's interesting because this, on the surface, does just read as a slasher comic. Yeah. Like the blurb is literally just, "It's a slasher comic, like teenagers getting killed," and it's only in the reveal that you go, "Oh, this is why it's different." Yeah. So, and I think it does a good job by getting there very quickly. Yeah. No, this this one. I mean, I suppose it was. Pe- we didn't do the things that we normally do. It was paced very well. Yes. The panel layout was good. <laughs> yeah, Pacing and panel layout, I think, were, were very serviceable to the story. Well, like, it just needed to be simple, didn't it? And yes. it was. But that was a feature of all three of them, I feel. Like, all three of the ones we read were a little bit more basic in terms of the visual storytelling, because what they were trying to get across was this impending sense of dread. And so the more time you spend trying to work out what's going on, the less time you have to go, oh, fuck, something's going on. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah, no, I've enjoyed our little, our little sidetrack into horror comics. Uh, we've got a couple more coming up, which uh, might well, vary in quality. Well, the, the final week of Spooky Season is not a horror comic, is it? The final week will be a horror, technically. I, technically uh, not even, i should say technically <laughs> it is a technically horror. it is a horror it's gonna be interesting to see. I don't want to reveal what it is just yet, but it's oh, gonna be do interesting. I, th- I think we can. I think we can do the grand unveiling here now. Do or you know or do what the episode reveal? Like, here it is. Okay, yeah, we'll reveal it next week. It's you'll see. Fine. It, you'll see it in the title because you obvi- if you're listening now, you're obviously subscribed. Yeah, you're so always you'll, subscribed. You'll see it in your feed Monday morning, and you'll go, "Oh, they've done this." <laughs> but I think uh, in terms of the weeks, I mean, I mean, what's it? This was the third one so technically we've got two more um are we doing f- a spooky season five weeks this week uh this month it is yes it is i'm looking oh, at we're, doing, cat. Don't we're doing five weeks of spooky season five that's weeks of spooky wild. season because that's just how it's worked out well my recap was incredibly premature then I mean, well, I say you done three. Isn't that the norm? It's like would be four weeks. Yeah. So you, you you were on the basis that you thought the last one was going to be the the ne- next one was going to be the last one. Yeah. No, I've got two more. Next one is a bit of a meta for White's <laughs> it's <Wyatt> scary, <laughs> and that'll be fun to get into. And the last one is a is a proper horror one, but it's it's a tie-in to a degree as well. So as cool. much as we're giving away on this spooky season, I can't wait to have the button another time. Code <laughs> So thank you so much for listening. If you want to send us an email, you can do so at comicliterate at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a review, just do so wherever you get your podcasts from, but make sure it's five stars because it does make our day. Mm. Thank you so much. Oh, YouTube Shorts. Yep. YouTube Check. Shorts. He's going to cut in. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get through <laughs> one without you cutting in. YouTube Shorts. Watch them. They're great. Any other platform. And TikTok. We're on TikTok, yeah. Thank you for listening, Night. <laughs> trying to get through one outro without you jumping in.